friends, welcome to Trill Angels powered by Karen the Load. Mark and I are so excited to have as our guest today, Tamala Shaw. Tamala, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. You know, can I just say something first before we really get into it too much? Uh, we have gained friends over the last two years as we've been doing podcasts. And uh, when when uh, Tamala came on just a few minutes ago as we were talking before, and it was like seeing an old friend again. And, and that's what this has become. Uh, we, were, we were on Tamala's show uh, a few months ago. And uh, just seeing your face again is just refreshing, and and uh, we're we're so happy to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I feel the same way. I was so excited. I was like, oh, I get to go and talk to Mark and Annette. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it's been one of the greatest gifts, really, of, of what we do. And and you know, as we were talking before, um, you know, friends, we'll just let you in. You know, these gifts of connection that we're gaining throughout the world, honestly, with, with people that we probably would never get to know. Absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, and it's, it's been beautiful. And, you know, again, thank you guys for being on the codependent me podcast because it it did, It, it felt like I met friends. It wasn't, it didn't feel like, Oh, I have to go on an interview by the time we were probably 10, 15 minutes in to our talk. And I was like, oh, it's my people. <laughs> you know, it was so good. It was, it, it was very seamless. So I was very excited. And you can tell in the podcast that there was camaraderie there because honestly, your podcast truly, I've had more people comment about your story, how wonderful you guys are. And they're like, you've got to have them on again. I'm like, well, well we don't would, want to. <laughs> we would love that. And, and thank you. Yes. You know, one of the things that I'm excited to talk about today is this codependency. And just to give you a little bit of background, friends, about Tamala, she is an author and she's a codependent recovery coach. Tamala was diagnosed with codependency over a decade ago. She was in therapy because her life was spiraling out of control. And at the forefront was a failing marriage. At the time, she didn't know anything about codependency. Tamala started reading books, searching the web, and found a codependency anonymous meeting. I love that. I've never heard of that one before. So we're (laughs) going to talk about that one. But in search of healing, um, this was this great resource for Tamala. She graduated from the Radiant Coaches Academy as a certified life coach. She specializes in the area of codependency. And it's her mission to use her teaching and life lessons to give a more holistic look at the recovery of codependency. Welcome. Thank you. So good to be here. You know, Annette and I were talking. We we, we spent a little bit of time, obviously, before our uh, podcast, talking about concepts, talking about what we want this uh, what this this hour should be about. Mm-hmm. And I I'll be completely honest with you, Tamala. When when we came onto your show, I really didn't know much about codependency. It was yeah. something that uh, we don't talk a lot about, right? Let alone be diagnosed. 
And and as we were talking uh, this this afternoon, you know, I, I was wondering how does a person get diagnosed as a codependent? I mean, that's got to be a very difficult thing because I, I know that there are ten questions that you ask about uh, dependency and about behaviors. Does a person have to ex- have five of those? before they're looked at as a codependent, one of them, uh, all 10 of them, what does a diagnosis of codependency look like? So basically when you, okay, so with me, I was diagnosed because I would put the family, my husband and my children ahead of myself, where I thought that it's it's a very fine line in loving hard and being codependent. And it all goes on. Are you doing what's best for you? Um, I always ask people, are you giving your best? Yes. Because if it, if you're not, then that's an issue. It's, you know, my sister asked me when I was first diagnosed, she said, what's the opposite of codependency? And I didn't know the answer. I really thought I was like, I don't know, dependency. And it's just like, ah, you know, so we kind of go back and forth with these different definitions because you can look in a lot lot of different places and it's still not ever really clear, but it totally is when you are putting your, you're putting others in front of yourself. You say yes, when you really don't want to give that yes. You know, you go beyond for other people when you're not, you, you in, in the, when it's toxic for you. Yeah, Tamala, a lot of people would say that don't know any better. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to put others in front of myself. Why is that not healthy? It's not healthy because when you are not being the best you, um, I guess I can try to give an example. So, and I really want to get into how I became codependent as well, because it'll tell why I had these behaviors and characteristics. When I was a little girl, my parents were both addicted to alcohol, and that made me have to take on more than a child should have to take on, right? Mm -hmm. So there were certain situations that would happen uh, where I had to take care of my brother or um, be there more so for my sister than I was supposed to. Uh, There was a time where I woke up and the whole house was smoky because mom had fallen asleep while cooking. Mm. So that that gives you a bit of a panic. So all of a sudden, as a seven, eight year old, you're like, I have to take care of things. Oh, I apologize. I have to make sure that I do things in order to make sure that everything works right. I'm the fix it person. Mm. So if you're the fixer, it's not. You can't fix everyone. God gave everyone free will and you have to allow people to have that free will. So what happens is I would think that this situation is a best situation, say in my marriage. I'll fast forward to that. And I would manipulate a situation in order to make that happen. Right. Because I was the fixer. I was the one that if there's a bill that's due, I wouldn't count on my husband. I wouldn't trust him to do what needed to be done. I would have a plan back here to say, no, I'm going to make sure that this is done. And that's a lot of pressure. When when you're in a marriage, you guys know it's right here. You're supposed to be, you know, do things together, you know, right. where I was 
calling myself, I'm going to make sure that everything works right. Well, where does that leave him? Right. So it became in my friendships. I would find people who needed me. And so that's where you you kind of you lose that. Is it love or do I want to be with you because you need me? So that's not healthy for me. I have to allow people to be who they are. And I don't always I, you, I didn't always do that. So what I what I'm understanding then is that and it makes complete sense that as this child, you you had to take on this role. Because someone else had these choices that they didn't make the right choices. Right. And and so that became your role. And so naturally you had you you continued on this path. Carried on. Mm-hmm. And and you didn't know, you know, that's who you became, right? The fixer. So I, I liked what you said earlier about that healthy, the healthy best yes. And am I giving my best yes to my husband and my children? And I like to think about this, and I've talked to many, many women about this, is, and no one would have labeled this codependency, but it's clicking up here right now, and that they feel like if they take care of themselves first, then they're not being a good mother or a good wife. Right. And the reality is, if they don't take care of themselves, they don't have enough left to give them the best, yes. Absolutely. And I would find myself wanting to fix things. And um, when people could become dependent on you, because you've you've made that, you know, what it is, you've put you've made the stage that you're going to be the one to fix things. And when they depend on you to do that, and then you really don't want to do it, I really don't want to go this place right now. I really don't want to take on this responsibility, but you still do it. That, and then you feel bad about it the next day. Oh, I really didn't want to do that. It becomes a cycle and you continue to do that. You don't set boundaries. You allow people to, you know, do things. And again, it's it's that best. Yes, I'm always, I never set boundaries. I'll just let, you know, whatever happened. That's also a big thing in codependency. We just, it's yes, 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 yes. And, um, and of course, again, you have that manipulation because you want things to turn out the way you want it to turn out. You know, a lot of people, when they said, oh, you're codependent, you know, it's, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> and it's By like, the way, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's not always like sometimes when you're codependent, you sit back and Again, you manipulate a situation. That's not that's that's being um that's not good. That's not being the the victim, you know? That's you're you're manipulating. That's not right. You know? You're being the bad guy. Thank when you. you get to that mm-hmm. point, sorry. But when you get to that point where you manipulate, mm-hmm. it's not right. It's not right. And I think back, you know, and and maybe how I parented. Or, you know, some different things. And sometimes I can see how I may have manipulated to get a certain answer or a certain outcome because just the things I would say or do, it it isn't right. And and I've learned a lot over the years with that. And I think all of us probably have a 
bit of that in us. That's what I was going to say. When you are, you can be codependent for one person, right? It doesn't mean that everybody in my life, I'm codependent, you know, too. It could be my son. I allow him to get away with a couple things that, or a few things that I wouldn't in the past, you know, I mean, other than with others, it could be um, my mom. Oh, well, I allow her to, you know, do such and such, or I go above and beyond and it becomes very toxic. But most people that are codependent, they are codependent to people who have addictions because you feel bad for them. So you want to fix their situation. I want to do what I need to do so that you don't use. Mm -hmm. And it's not up to you. It's up to them. Do we do that because of a sense of perfectionism? Um, We do that, I feel as though because of love, but then you take it too far. You can, you have to help people into doing what's best for them, not do it for them. Mm. And you're only supposed to do it when they ask you to. I never asked. (laughs) I was never asked. (laughs) I'd always, excuse me, do you need me? (laughs) (laughs) Look about you. I think I better come do this. (laughs) It's it's interesting because you talked to begin beginning in the beginning of this episode this conversation about God's will for us was to have choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe, you know, we're, God loves us. Yes. He loves each of us. And it doesn't matter what we do. He loves us. We're his children. And so, yeah, when you, you say you, you, it's out of love, but there's that fine line of love I know best or love I love you and I'll let you make that mistake. Kind of like God's kind of like God's love. Yeah. Yes. You know, he does he doesn't fix everything for us. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. He absolutely does not. You're right. And so we sometimes we love to the point where we don't allow people to grow. And that that is a part of it. You know, I know for a fact that there's a lot of situations with my children that I should have allowed them to fall. You know, falling is not bad. You know, there is failure in success. So there's a lot of times that I was like, no, I'm just going to fix that for them. You know, it's like <laughs> I always tell people, um, you know, if they have uh, older teen children, well, do you, you know, am I codependent? And the first thing I'll say, do you fill out their applications for them? but see that's where i was getting with that question about perfectionism because are we are we doing this because we want to look good or we want them to look good yes feel as though it's a reflection on us right that was always my thing if my children don't look you know if they're not this shining you know individual then i failed no that's not the case. You know, I did what I felt as though was best. I did the best that I knew to do. And then they take the rest. Right. So that was a that was it was really, really a, a big and it still is. It's still hard for me. You can tell even with me falling over my words, I feel very responsible when it comes to them. So it makes me want to make them look look good, look the part of being 
all that I raised. When in all actuality, oh my goodness, I so apologize. Um, so it, it's it's a situation where you have to allow people to be who they are, and you have to accept people for who they are. And when you offer help, you allow them to take what they need and leave the rest. And you have to be okay with that. But being with, um, you know, I had my parents, you know, thank God they are both in recovery right now. But there was a lot of times where um, they went on and they had to do what, what they needed to do. And I had to pick up you know, so before I went to bed, I would make sure I checked the stove. I would check the locks. I would check all of those things. Um, as I got older, my mother, um, she's so wonderful. She talked to me about her alcoholism. I was probably about 14 before I understood what alcohol, alcoholism was. And she told me that she was going to go and get help. And so I went to Altine at that time which was wonderful. And we didn't know whether she was going to have to go to inpatient or outpatient. So I had all of this understanding as a child, but no one else, no one else knew anything about it. So all of my friends, I couldn't really share those, those particular things. So that became my family. So when I was diagnosed with codependency, when I found out about CODA, I was like, wow, I've got to look into this. And that those people became my family because when I started talking to my friends about codependency, they didn't know what it was. They told me I was not codependent. No, you're not codependent. Like, what is it? Like, you know, you're, you're independent. And it's like, no, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with it. It's two totally different things, you know? So when I was able to get, you know, CODA and in, in the meetings and all of that, they were able to, really talk to me about boundaries, about detachment, about people not understanding. Like once you start setting your boundaries and you've been this person for 20 years, once you start setting your boundaries, they're not going to understand because you've been doing, you've been living this way for so long. How dare you all of a sudden want me to be able to make my own decisions. Now you, you're saying no, when you would always say yes, you know, it's, it's a fine line. And it's so difficult. And I love that you bring up boundaries mm-hmm. because I feel like we, and this is how I felt for a long time before I set some really mm-hmm. hard boundaries and, and I've held to it was that that would make me bad too. You know, that doesn't show that I love them if I set boundaries mm-hmm. or if I do this or do that. And, and the reality is it's the opposite. Absolutely. But it shows that, you know what, we care for ourselves too. Mm-hmm. And and what that shows our children in a healthy way of living. Right. Is pretty powerful. But when you talk about boundaries and you talk about how you did all this, what when you were in therapy and you first heard about CODA mm-hmm. and it became, I can only imagine that all of a sudden, answers to what you have felt since you were this little girl, you started getting answers. Absolutely. I mean, it was again, like finding family and getting answers from within, 
you know, because other people, you know, when you feel bad about doing something for someone, it makes you wonder about yourself. You're like, well, why do I feel bad about it? Well, you felt bad about it, not because you didn't, because you did it. You felt bad about it because you didn't stand on your true feeling on the inside and saying no. You didn't set those boundaries. So when I hear in in these meetings that other people felt the same way, I was like, okay, that is normal. And when you hear in these meetings that if you set your boundaries and people don't respect your boundaries, that you should detach from them. And it's just like, how do you do that? How do you detach from a loved one because you stop doing something that you've already you've always done, you know? Because one thing that I try to tell people all the time, when you set your boundaries, the person can either accept it, but before, if they do accept it, before they do, they'll probably be angry. Because it's like, you always say, it's like you you fed the bear all these years and then you, you're starving the bear. So the bear's gonna get angry before it understands or before it accepts that you're not going to do this anymore because sometimes, because you don't want to make anyone angry as a codependent. I didn't want to make anyone upset. So when you tell them, no, normally you, you have a choice as well, because when they get upset, you're either going to please them and have a, we call it a codependent slip. So you're going to slip back into your old habits or you're going to stand on it. And then eventually they'll respect it. And if they don't, you will have to detach because your boundaries, you have to stand on those. So, Tamala, there there are people that are listening to this podcast asking themselves, am I a codependent? Mm -hmm. Are there some commonalities that you see? You know, you've you've talked about some of the things within your experience there, but what would be some of the questions you would ask someone that would ask that question about whether they are a codependent? Um. Do you feel good about, you know, your relationships? Do they feel toxic? You know, um, did you grow up in addictive um, or in a, in a, in families with addictions? Because in my family, my mother was an alcoholic. Well, is she is an alcoholic. She's a recovering alcoholic. My father, my grandfather, my brother, my aunt. So we had a house full of, of alcoholics. And that's normal. That felt normal to me. What was abnormal was being in a house full of sober people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, and you know, one thing I tell people all the time, because now that I am in a healthy environment and a healthy, um, you know, the family is healthier. I'm not going to say healthy, healthier. (laughs) We all have our dysfunction, right? Healthier. But I still like, I may hear a song that reminds me of a cookout where there was, you know, all this drinking happening and all of that, but it feels good because that's where, that's what I knew, you know? So I always tell my mom, there's the, the word fun is in dysfunction for a reason. (laughs) We had fun, fun, but it was toxic. No one should sit back and, you know, like we had a situation where um, a family member would drink too much and then wake up the next day and say, Oh, uh, did I do something wrong? Did, you know, I, I feel like people aren't speaking to me. Did I cuss someone out? You know, and it's just like, that's not normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah. 
So yeah, most times it is you have you have addicts in your family. But can um, this happen with those who don't have addicts? Absolutely, but it could be it's it's always some type of dysfunction. You know, mm-hmm. it may be where you grew up with someone who was codependent and they were codependent because they had you know that's what they were taught. So my grandmother, she would have never known what, an, what, uh, what a codependent was, but she was. She was very codependent. And, and I, I laugh now because my grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandmother was codependent, but neither one of them would have ever claimed either. But when I married, they, my family used to always say, oh, you guys act just like Nanny and Papa is what we used to call mm-hmm. them. Well, I I wore it like a badge of honor. Oh, my relationship is like my grandparents. I love it. They were together forever. But when you stand back and you look at the dysfunction, <laughs> it was the dysfunction that people were seeing. <laughs> because, you know, my husband wasn't an addict, but I, that's that's what I looked for. I looked for someone who needed me because I was already, I grew up being codependent. So I looked for someone who needed that guidance, who needed that um, cheerleading, who needed all of that. And that's where, you know, because I was the one to do, that's why they saw that we were a couple like them. Do you, do you see more couples that uh, might have a lot of inner strength? Do you, do you see many of them that are codependent or do you see usually that there's one that's a strong uh, entity and the other one might not be as strong? Um, I think that in every, in every healthy relationship, there's everyone, you know, both will have their strengths, both will have their weaknesses and hopefully they will even each other out. One thing that I find in relationships, um, from people that I coach, um, it's communication. That's, that's short. You know, you, you know, you may feel, um, I found that when I love someone, once I've really, the niece's friends, you know, whatever, once I love you, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So if there's something that I don't like, I won't discuss it. So the communication is down. So regardless in any, what makes, you know, what helps a relationship be healthy is the communication. I should be able to tell you that didn't make me feel good. I don't like it when you do that, you know? That that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and having that trust that you can really share those feelings yes. and, and how you're Be feeling. Vulnerable. That vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things, too, that has, has stood out in my mind is the talk, talking about the familiarity. And even though you didn't like how when you saw what codependency was and that you were that way, that's what was familiar. And so when you made that switch and it, I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. No. And it, and it's, I would assume that it's something every day because that's the natural you would slip mm-hmm. into that you have to right. be at the forefront. But with that being the uncomfortable, you have to, Allow yourself to sit in that, the messy middle, I guess. Absolutely. I I am so, I I tell people all the time, sit in the mess, sit in it, feel it, you know, because that's the only way that you'll be able to clean it up. 
if you don't sit back and identify with it and call it out and say, I didn't love myself enough, you know, I've had to look in my in the mirror and say, you didn't, you know, at, at, at this moment, I can't say this now, thank God, you're not pretty. You know, you're, you, you, well, you don't think you're pretty. You don't feel like you communicate well. You don't feel worthy. You, uh, you want to fix everyone. Like I had to say these things in order to know that number one, identify how I was feeling and then turn around and say, you are beautiful. You are worthy. You know, you can be better. You will be better, you know. Just and I still do that. I make it out of the shower, and you know how the the mirror is cloudy. I may write. Is it depends on how I feel when I step out. I may put you are beautiful. You know, you're gonna have a great day. I have to affirm myself on a daily basis, just like an alcoholic has to, you know, stay away from drinks and keep themselves together. I have to make sure that I I stay in a healthy place so that I don't have that codependent slip and fall back into those behaviors. So many great, great things here. And those answers that are within, you know, the last several days, we've done a lot of, um, our posts have focused on within and, and finding Mm -hmm. our true selves and, and that those answers are within, but, you have to sit in it. You have to recognize it. And um, and I don't know why we run from the mess, but we do. Well, yeah. I think that maybe one of the reasons we might run from the mess is because we don't have a lot of great examples on television. Mm. You know, I, was just, I was just thinking about that when you were talking, thinking about uh, codependent couples on, on television, on television shows. Oh, wow. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to date myself here by, by saying that uh, in, the, in the 70s sitcoms, uh, you, you had programs like The Jeffersons or, or you know, uh, All in the Family, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of codependency going on. <laughs> and I think that people yeah. kind of look at that as this is the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, there was not that communication at right. all. And. Right. And, you know, I almost, I didn't want to say, leave it to Beaver. You know, it, it was just so interesting yeah. how, oh, you know, you, you never talked about the problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you always, everything was swept under the rug and it didn't matter how your day had been, but you know, when it was perfect. It was perfect. And when your spouse is getting home from work, you're gonna have yeah, and you're gonna have, you know, yeah. everything. You're gonna have your pearls on. I'm gonna have my uh... pearls on, you know, and and um <laughs> I am so grateful to not live in those days. Yeah. I, yeah. I really am because I, it, it wasn't real. Right. And because there is muck there, you know, again, there people have problems and it's, it's, it's okay. Having the problem isn't the problem, not having a solution or co- coming together to have a solution when you're a couple, that's where the problem is. Right. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I, I have to, I have to tell you um, a lot of people 
don't go into the why. You know, if you're an alcoholic, it's the the problem is not that you're you're constantly drinking until you're just drinking and drinking and drinking. The problem is why you're drinking. You're going to continue that until you get to the muck of why, whether it's self-esteem, whether it's worthiness, whether it's, you know, you had parents that didn't treat you right, addiction, dysfunction, like whatever it is, you have to get in. The, that's why I say you have to sit in it. It doesn't always feel good, but that's okay. When you go through surgery, when you're cut, when you're going through recovery, it's painful, but you're healing. And that's where the beauty is. So, yeah, this is a beautiful analogy. It is a beautiful analogy. And this is a conversation that Annette and I have all the time because we see many that are struggling with this. And in fact, here we are 35, 40 minutes into our conversation. And there are still people that are listening that are saying, I don't necessarily agree with the premise that uh, I should put other, I should put myself in front of others because it almost to them seems selfish. Right. What would you say to that person? It's uh, to give themselves permission to be selfish. It's okay. There are times where you're supposed to put yourself first. If you work and do all that you're supposed to do, it's okay to take a moment to go and get a facial, a, a mani-pedi, to get a massage, to do whatever makes you happy. If you want to sit down and have a cup of ice cream because you've done all that you can, yes, do it. And you have to, you have to be good to you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being good to you. But again, there is there are certain levels. You know, of course, there are times where I may put others above myself. There are times, mm -hmm. but those are times when I give myself permission to do that. When it doesn't feel good, that is the problem. When you are constantly doing it and you, you feel like you're second rate, that's the problem because you're putting yourself in that place and you don't deserve that. So it's, it, it's allowing, not only just allowing ourselves, but we need to feel, we need to feel the feelings, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. there is a balance and there is time. And of course, when we have young children, at home, you know, things, there's responsibilities that come right. with that. And yes. you can't just say, oh, here you go. Yes. I'm going to go get my, my massage because, you know, that's just how it's going to be. You have to be wise and use wisdom in all that you do. And you have to but listen to your body. You have to, exactly. You have to listen to your body, which means we're not numb. Right. Um, I know now when I'm doing something that I don't want to do um, or that's not good for me, I feel it in my throat. And I never recognized it before until I started listening to my body. It's almost like if I if I want to say yes and it's not my best yes, it stops right here. Like I can feel it. Mm -hmm. And then once I feel it, I don't answer. 
I go back and I think about it. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about that. <laughs> and it's okay to think about it. You know, just because a person you or a situation may need an answer right then and there, really discern whether you want to give that answer at that moment, because you may need to take a moment to say, let me see if this is my best guess. May not be. That pause that you just gave us all permission to have that pause. Um that's something that there, it can be this uncomfortable thing. And I just had a situation where um, typically I would have said yes. And, and you know, the, the same, because that was me. And, and, and I have, and I love this friend. And, but yet I knew it wasn't my best yes. And, and that you were doing it out of respect for the friendship versus you and the time that you would need right. to do. Exactly. And, and I allowed myself to sit in it, to pause and to just kind of think it through. And I, I called Mark and we were talking on the phone and, and, you know, I said, this is what I'm feeling. And, and so it's great to have someone you can, um, you know, talk to. Absolutely. It's over with. And, <laughs> But this is, you know, we've learned and we have come a long way in our communication and, and things that we're learning. And because I paused and I knew where I was at and I knew what the correct answer was, and it was to not give my yes. But it was the pause that then the friend came back and relink. What's the word? Well, she re- she rethought she it. She rethought it. And okay. said, you know, there's not time, but don't worry about it. And so, but I didn't leave it at that. And I said, oh, good. And I said, <laughs> I was feeling like I might not be able to do, you know, give you my best. Right. And, and so there was two things there that, you know, the pause, but then being honest and vulnerable and saying, I didn't feel like I could give you my best. Right. Do you know the other thing I've found over time as well in communication and relationships with people is that if you have to ask the question, should I be doing this? What's usually the, the answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it so hard? Right. <laughs> and that's where it's important to go to meetings. It's important to, because we have 12 steps. We have 12 prayers. We have 12 traditions. So, you know, the serenity prayer, you know, again, you know, we have to allow ourselves to take a moment and give it to God. Sometimes it's not on you. And that's one thing that I realized. And one thing that God told me when it came to my husband, God told me, he said, you need to step out of the way. Because he is going to things for he's going to you for things that he needs to come to me for. Oh wow. That was big. And I slipped back into it. I was strong in the beginning, but then you you kind of you you that guilt sets in, right? And then I fell back into it. And still there's no, <laughs> there will be no success if you don't put God first. So again. I went back into it and I, I went back into the same routine. 
not changing. And it wasn't until I said, okay, God, I hear you and I have to let go. And then the person, you know, my ex, he, he went, I mean, months, he was so angry that I, you know, that I, I said, no, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I have to, you know, I have to live my best life. And I mean, went months without talking to me. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. And it allowed him to live his best life. Absolutely. Because and he, he needed to go to God and to learn those absolutely. things. Absolutely. And we are the best of friends right now. The best. And, you know, he will say, it took you to tell me no. And I mm. always thought you would say yes. I always thought you would do what you needed to do in order to make things work. And I apologized, you know. So, again, if you put things the way that they need to be and let people work their way through things, it takes the pressure off of you where you can put yourself first. They can put themselves first and then you can come together and be great. So that's a great example of a first step. You know, if there's someone, Tamala, that uh, says, okay, I get it. I, I think I'm in that mode. I think that uh, what they're talking about is is uh, describing me, but I'm not going to go to a 12-step meeting. Right. Can you give us some ideas, some some helps that uh, people, I think we've talked about some of them, some of them already, you know, God should be important uh, in, in that uh, equation. Uh, meditation, you know, maybe, maybe exercise. Are there other things that uh, a person can do by Jer- themselves? Yeah. Journal. Journaling is big. I journaled probably every night for four or five years. So one of the things you shared with us that you, you had to do is you had to name the mess mm-hmm. and and in journaling, isn't that a great place to just like you said, you know, this is these are the lies you were believing. Mm-hmm. But then you told yourself the truth, but you didn't just, you know, if, I think, you know, all those in things. The journaling, like you said, in the journaling, it'll it'll be your journey to where you need to go. And you, once you start writing things out and I have to say, even when I started going to the meetings, I didn't talk. And what's wonderful, you know, about now is you can go to a meeting on Zoom and not say a word. You don't have to show your picture. They have, um, if you go to coda.org, they have tele uh, telemeetings is what they call them, but it's over the telephone. Nobody knows that you're there. If you don't want to say a word, you don't have to. If you just want to feel how it feels, you have that right to do that. And you don't have to say a word because, you know, you just don't have to. Um, but a great it was, resource. Yeah. And then when you journal, that kind of gets your feelings out and then you can decide, OK, why do I feel that way? Um, I always felt unprotected and I, I couldn't really figure out why I felt like nobody had my back. And it, wa- it wasn't until I was writing the book. The first <laughs> one of the first things that I put in there was. When we lived, uh, we lived in a high rise and I used to sleep near the front door and I started typing and I said on there, I said, it just kind of flowed out. I said, I was vulnerable. Um, I was set out like, how did I put it? Like the, the guard dog, 
that was my way of saying. And I said, why would I say that? Why did I put that I was out here like a guard dog? Guard dogs guard, but they're not particularly guarded. So that's when I knew, okay, let me think about that because I became emotional. I started to cry. And that's when I realized I didn't feel protected. So that was a big thing. So as you journal, you'll find these different feelings and it's like, okay, so I'm going to put this to bed. I'm going to think about this. Let me write this down. Let me see how I feel about this. So journaling is big. You know, the other thing I think it allows you to do is to create a baseline mm-hmm. where you can go back and uh, reread. Oh, I love at. that. I love that. I still go back. So you can see that progress. Yes. On those days, maybe you think, oh, didn't do so well. Right. And that's the other thing I want people to understand, you know, even in your recovery, we all fall short, you know? So if I'm, if I turn around today and give someone a yes, when I really probably shouldn't have forgive yourself and keep moving, don't worry about it. You know, it's again, if, if you're an alcoholic, you, you, you mess around and take a drink. You don't sit back and keep drinking. You start all over the next day, right? You start over at that moment that you, oh, I messed up. Okay, I fell short. Okay, start over. Wow. So many wonderful things here, Tamla. One of the questions that we like to ask our guests at the end of each episode is about trail angels. Now, you're a trail angel in so many ways of so many individuals Those who listen to your podcast, those that you have coached, those that you may have been codependent with, that you were able to heal and get on the right path. Um, You know, Trail Angels, someone who's been there before, shows you the way. In your life, who's been a Trail Angel for you? Mm. Oh, Trail angel for me would be my mom. My mom has, oh, I'm going to cry. She's been so beautiful throughout this process because she's had to deal with a lot of guilt and she's done it so honorably. She's had to hear things that she is not necessarily proud of. But she always says, keep going. Um, she's actually here now. <laughs> so, the, the you know, hearing my childhood woes, that's difficult for her because she's not that person anymore. But she always says, baby, keep going because it's bigger than us. So she continues to, you know, sometimes she may interview with me and tell the story. When I told her, God gave me the book, God uh I, I, one day I was sitting down and God said, I need you and your mom to write this book and immediately gave me the, the titles of every chapter. He gave me the, uh, the title of the book, which is God turned mommy's wine into water, which is beautiful because that's what he did for us. And when I first told her about it, she was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> God didn't tell me that. Sorry. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) But I know my God and my God does not lie. So I I started writing regardless. 
And so it was probably about eight months later, you know, within the year, she came back and she said, okay, it's time. And we sat down and we wrote. She wrote her portion. I wrote mine. We never put it together until the book was finished. And when we put it together, I told her, I said, you're going to read things that you may not know about. I don't want you to feel any guilt about it because you're not that person anymore. So you keep going. You just know that if I had not gone through the things that I had gone through, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I love me. I love me. So we put the book, we put, put the book together and it was the most beautiful dance, song and dance that we could have ever come up with. Right. And she continues to support and I am grateful. So she is that person for me. What a wonderful trail angel. That's beautiful. And, and I love, I love the hope, the trail angel that she can be to all of us, both of you. And that just because our life was super messy in a lot of different areas doesn't mean we can't change and grow and become who God needs us to become. And, and that's what I love about that story is that your mother is not defined by who she was, but who she is. Nope, absolutely not. It is not the title. It is what God calls her, right? Mm-hmm. So she is not, you know, she is a recovering alcoholic, but she is the messenger, right? Everything that we go through is not really for us. It's for the people that's behind us. So she has now been sober almost 10 years and she has fallen off the wagon several times, but guess what? She got back up and that's what matters. That's what matters. So that's right. all off, they can look at her and say, well, you know what? I fell off, but I'm going to get back on, you know? So absolutely. She is definitely my trail angel. I love her. Tamala, how can people get a hold of your book? Oh, Oh, look at that. Can you see it? God turned mommy's wine into water. Uh, They can go on Amazon. They can go on Great Essentials. It's GR number eight, essentials.com. But, you know, Amazon, everybody knows Amazon. Everybody gets them delivered from Amazon. (laughs) We'll actually put the link to the actual book. Thank you so much. um, In the show notes there. And so that will be be a wonderful thing. And it's beautiful. Basically with the book, it tells her journey in alcoholism and how that led to my journey in codependency. So it gives you how I became codependent, which is so, so good. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful. Yes. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation with Tamala Shaw. I have. I have to. This has been a joy. And it I have learned so much about codependency, about who I am, things that I can improve upon, and things that I can change to be a better to be a better person, to be a better trail angel. And and to know what love really is. And to know what love really is. Healthy love. It is healthy love and to allow others to be their best self as well. I mean, it it sounds like it's so simple. (laughs) (laughs) I know it should be, but it's not. (laughs) 
But when we learn, you know, it's exactly. And just like Tamala has shared her story and that a portion of her mother's story, each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you'll ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of the Trail Angels and Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep caring. Yes.